Hello, it's Vikas Porta, Chairman of the Vaki Foundation. You are listening to a session from our Global Education and Skills Forum, a place where leading politicians, businesses, philanthropists, activists, and of course, the world's best teachers share, debate, and discover new ways for education to transform our world. Keep the global conversation going and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with the hashtag GESF. Order! A great welcome to all of you uh, at this debate about do children sit too many standardized tests? And I'm happy to be the moderator order in this house. <laughs> uh, my name is uh, Joe Ritson and I'm a former minister. I've been at the World Bank as a vice president in education. Uh, I've been also the president of university and I'm really happy to see so many of you. And I hope that of course the debate will be lively and active and that you all will participate also here in the room. And so the way in which we have organized this, as you know, those of you who have been here before, is um, I read the motion now. The motion is, do children sit too many standardized tests? Yes. All right, and then um, you can vote using the clickers. Uh, the uh, one slash A is yes, uh, two slash B is no, and three slash C is undecided. So, once again, the motion, do children sit too many standardized tests? Please vote. Well, yeah, right. Well, don't, for those who are in favor, don't um, be too early in, in rejoicing because there, you haven't heard those who are against. And those are uh, um, two people are against the motion. That's Jane Allen, that's founder and CEO, Center of Education Reform, so you have a task ahead of you, and Dame Rachel D'Souza, Chief Executive of the Inspiration Test, and for the motion, and they are going to have the lead role they start, is Susan Hopgood, President, Education International, and Ross McGill, Managing Director uh, at Teacher Toolkit. So, Seven minutes for the first speaker for the motion to speak. Susan Hopgood, you have already the floor and you seem to have a majority, so easy task, maybe. Well, friends, let me start with 112. 112. Please keep that figure in your heads and let me say it again. 112. But before I go any further, I want to dispel a popular misconception straight away. We do not oppose assessment as it is often claimed by the testing industry and conservative politicians who seek to demonise teachers. In fact, assessing students is at the heart of successful teaching. Teachers do it all the time, formally and informally. Of course, the best form of student assessment is closely linked to the purposes of the curriculum and integrated with curriculum and classroom experience. It provides evidence of student progress and achievement. 
and also important diagnostic evidence that assists teachers in planning for ongoing improvement in student outcomes. Standardised tests can provide information for system accountability, but this, of course, can be achieved through sample testing rather than full census testing. Standardised tests are a snapshot of learning at one point of time. They are best used as a random sample over a large population to determine program effectiveness. Mass standardised census testing is unnecessary, expensive and often counterproductive. Research, in fact, shows that high stakes mass testing has led to inappropriate teaching and learning practices, a narrowing of the curriculum, expectations and student outcomes. So, friends, let me come back to 112. Have you guessed? Do children sit too many standardised tests? Well, absolutely. A two-year study on testing in the US reveals that the average student in America's big city public schools takes some 112 mandatory external standardised tests between pre-kindergarten and the end of grade 12, an average of about eight a year. This eats up between 20 and 25 hours every school year. And on top of that, there are teacher-written tests, sometimes taken by students, along with standardised tests in the same subject. The study also reveals there is no evidence that adding testing time improves student achievement. So who thinks in this room that students don't sit too many tests? Do I hear 113? 114? 115, maybe? It is no surprise that parents and students in the US and elsewhere are revolting against standardised assessments. The opt-out movement in the US has been growing each year. The obsession with mass standardised testing and using the results to make judgments about teacher and school performance and quality will not enhance student learning or result in genuine educational accountability. It is part of a top-down accountability structure being imposed in far too many places. Too many governments use the term accountability attached to standardised testing to shift focus away from their obligation to ensure all children have access to a quality education. They also use references to standardised testing to make simplistic and mostly spurious judgments about teachers. According to some politicians and commentators, accountability ends at the classroom door. That is, the teacher is solely responsible for the performance of students irrespective of the ability and diversity of the student population, the resourcing available, the support provided and a myriad of other variables beyond the control of the classroom teacher. UNESCO's 2017-18 Global <coughs> Education Monitoring Report argues that the negative consequences of test-based accountability systems outweighs the benefits. So here are seven reasons why too many tests are not good for our students. Firstly, simply because they do not improve student performance. For example, a GEM report reveals that of 11 OECD countries using test-based accountability, five saw their PISA mean math scores increase from 2003 to 2015, while scores decreased in six countries. Two, testing is big business. There are companies that profit from testing and would want our schools to administer more standardised tests. And this is also the case with some donor organisations that are spending millions of dollars to support standardised assessments. Three, things that actually matter, such as problem solving, creativity, 
innovation, tolerance, respect, global citizenship, and other higher order skills and values cannot be measured through pencil and paper tests. Four, standardised tests often force governments, jurisdictions and schools to adjust policy in response to test score pressure. For example, by introducing more standardised assessments, not less, to the detriment of their education systems. And five, high stakes testing may encourage shaping the testing pool by excluding those students who are perceived as low performers or even result in outright cheating. And six, standardised tests narrow the curriculum by forcing teachers to teach to the test, thereby sidelining other essential parts of the curriculum. And finally, too many tests can take away the joy of learning from our students and demotivate teachers, students and parents. Friends, colleagues, instead of subjecting our young people to more standardised assessments, we should expend our time, resources and energy, building the capacity of teachers to carry out formative and diagnostic assessments, preparing students for life and work and supporting them to achieve their fullest potential. I urge you to support our view. Thank you. This was the case of 112 against the US government. Uh, now we will have uh, Jane Allen, founder and CEO of Center for Education Reform. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor, my colleagues for the motion, my dear colleague with whom I will win against the motion. How many of you have had a great teacher? Yes. <laughs> How many of you have had a very bad experience in the classroom? Would you want those bad experiences, those people at the head of the bad experience in that classroom to be the determining factor with whether or not you succeeded or failed or moved on to the next grade? Ladies and gentlemen, that is the issue in front of you. When you talk about standardized testing and remove the ability for us to measure objectively, you relegate poor, low-income, largely minority children to a system of failure. That's part of the argument which I'd like to talk to you about today. First, we are not in favor of willy-nilly, random hundreds of tests every year for no purpose. Like our opponents, who just, by the way, Susan, in the first three minutes of her tirade, endorsed tests on many levels for many good reasons, we do not simply support any test for any reason. You have to define, there are many different kinds of tests. There are end of course tests with various kinds of questions, multiple choice, some good, some bad. Remember those tests we used to take? Read a paragraph, repeat or discuss what you learned from that paragraph. Is there something wrong with actually pushing back to the teacher or the person observing your classroom or your school whether or not you did well and understood it? How about that math program that you had to actually prove that you knew how to get to the math program, which, by the way, today are open-ended, not just multiple choice. They're the written answer, the essays, the national state, the school assessments, tests with stakes, tests without stakes, tests to measure what we learn, formative, ongoing, summative, normative, to compare one to another, and we're against all of those tests, Susan and Ross? Amazing. All of these tests provide data and information. It's just such ignorance. I just can't believe you would say that to our, about our children. All of them engage our kids in some, I love you, really, in some level of recall, <laughs> critical thinking, and demonstration of mastery. 
Recall one of the most difficult tests you took. Didn't it feel great when you got it back and you aced it and you sat next to that Joe next to you who was always torturing you and you did so much better? <laughs> it forces you to demonstrate data, to transmit the information and demonstrate that you are actually going through the process for which you attended school in the first place. How else can we know if Johnny can read? If Sasha has grasped the basic concepts of math before being permitted to move on and demonstrate the accumulation of knowledge. Indeed, while standardized tests have been around largely since the beginning of time, or at least since Plato, it was not until our country started requiring annual tests for students that we discovered the magnitude of the achievement gap. Prior to that, the assumption in both our countries, I'm not sure about yours, was that people who did poorly in school, it was a function of their color and their poverty. And it was written off in the United States as things we possibly could not narrow. We discovered that our students, by standardized testing, were actually doing poorly in schools that on paper looked wonderful by those old-fashioned normative tests. We thought that great schools look good on paper and bad schools look really bad on paper because what was reported to us was through the district superintendents and the educators. We can't possibly move these kids forward if we don't expect and know how to measure their progress. By the way, our best schools, those in the best zip codes, it turns out were the worst offenders. And when we began testing on a national level annually, we found out a dirty little secret. That the best students in those schools actually helped mask the failure of poor minority children. When tested, compared year by year, and disaggregated, the student achievement was quite different than decades of anti-poverty efforts had portrayed. We knew some of this through our charter school efforts where many people had actually created schools focused on high poverty students and within a few short years showed that they were able to perform. And they demonstrated the folly that being poor is an excuse for doing bad. We'd seen this before for years in inner city Catholic schools, for example, and parochial schools, documented by researchers at Chicago, Harvard, and Stanford, that simply showing up at a school and not being, being treated as if you could not achieve and not being given tests because we were afraid that we might hurt little Johnny or Sasha if we helped them, gave them too many tests and hold them to pressure, that indeed expectations that students rise to them no matter where you come from. And how do you set expectations? You give them a barometer, a measure, a bar. How do you get to that bar? You have to give them step-by-step -step objectives to reach. Once they have those objectives, how do you know they reach those objectives? Ladies and gentlemen, you test them. So once in the States, we had several of these annual tests. Just once, annual tests. Schools in some states in the U.S. were graded for how they performed, and they were given letters grades, and those who did not improve dramatically over time, there were some consequences for failure. They were given money, they were given support, many of them had to reconstitute, some of them actually were forced to close, which meant parents for the first time, knowing there was an F on their school, could say, why is there an F on my school? This was powerful data. There's a fantastic movie, Won't Back Down. If you haven't seen it, go out and look for it. Viola Davis, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Won't Back Down, and she takes us through this experience as a teacher and parent getting together who first realized there's an F 
on their school. And she walks around and she hands a piece of paper as people are coming up to the school to drop their kids off. And she says, would you, would you go to a restaurant that had an F on it? Would you, would you vote for a candidate who was rated F by everyone in their district? Well, maybe some of us would. <laughs> but you would not send your child to a school rated F, so why are we being forced to do this? Right? Those grades became powerful. So flash forward, our states were doing that, but unevenly. And so many poor kids were still left behind. And then we had the United States, no child left behind. And we set milestones for growth and proficiencies. You know what we did? We disaggregated by these subgroups I talked about. And the most amazing thing happened. Conservatives and liberals, anti-testers, protesters, reformers, and traditionalists came together and said, this is how we close the achievement gap and hold ourselves accountable and hold our kids up to higher standards is by allowing ourselves to see year by year where the growth is, where the measurement is, and how we do. But the problem is, to the credit of my opponents, we began to test, and rather than rushing as leaders and great leaders like you all in this room would do to teach more and teach better so our students could do more. Many of those district leaders simply did what we call in the US CYA. They wanted to cover their arse and they ran to test as much as they possibly could to teach kids how to take a test. Could you close your argument? Therefore, the resulting 112 over some years, 80 by the way in one state in Florida, was not a result of standardized testing, but inadequate and pejorative adult behavior because they did not want to take the outcomes, the barometers, and the bars that testing advocates like us endorse and support Please vote with us against the motion. There are not too many standardized tests. Thank you so much, Jane Allen. Um, the next speaker is in favor, Ross McGill, director, managing director of uh, at Toolkits, a teacher Teach. toolkit. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to share with you four stories, uh, or four perspectives as a student, as a teacher, as a school leader, and as a parent. And I guess the fifth perspective I can't give you is a politician's. Um, our education system is set up to ignore the individuality of every student. When I was a student, I scraped the maths and English tests, um, called the standard pass 20, well, 30 odd years ago. Uh, today it's called the standard or good pass. But I wonder how you performed in your maths and English classes. Were you above or below the target? Did you get the grades? Were you in the top set or the bottom set? How did it define your personal expectations? Some of you would have been successful, uh, others not so. Everybody in this room has experienced that at some point. In a brilliant book, The End of Average, by Todd L. Rose, he has articulated and affirmed everything I believe about standardization. He quotes uh, a bit of research from the 1940s. After multiple flying accidents in the US Air Force in the 1940s, after ruling out pilot error and uh, faulty mechanics, the main hypothesis became that the average American pilot had outgrown the first World War cockpit design. So in the 1950s, officials commissioned a new study 140 different dimensions, human body, to determine the new average pilot. 
over 4,000 pilots had their head, their chest, and lots of different uh, circumferences measured. The research calculated the average 10 physical dimensions believed to be the most relevant for cockpit design and determined how many pilots measured near the average for all dimensions. How many pilots do you think were average? None. Out of the 4,063 pilots, not one single pilot fell within the average 30% in all 10 dimensions. As Rose says, if you've designed a cockpit to fit the average pilot, you've actually designed it to fit no one. Do we want an education system that compels each student to be like everyone else? Or do we want a system where every student can make their own choices? I know what I would prefer as a student. As a teacher, when I first trained 25 years ago, there was very little assessment training in my uh, degree. Now, it was 25 years ago, uh, and as a, a first-year classroom teacher, I, very I, very, I had little understanding of what assessment looked like in my first year in the classroom. Today, teachers still receive very little professional development once they've qualified. With increasing accountability reaching the classroom floor, teachers can be making up to 27 possible decisions per child. So let me give you an example. If I ask you to record an effort, a homework, a current target, a predictive target for a child, that's four different decisions from an A star to a grade U decision. So there's nine possible options. If I then ask you to fine grade at A1, A2, A3, there's 27 possible decisions times four. And some schools might ask their uh, uh, teachers to enter that six times a year. So that's just for 30 kids, that's over 19,500 data entries. If you're doing that for all your classes, because teachers teach sometimes five or 10 classes, that's exceeding over 100,000 data decisions per academic year. Is it any wonder data can be inaccurate? A colleague of mine back in the UK, Tom Sherrington, ex-head uh, teacher, uh, poses this question when he goes out on his training events. If your data management information system blew up overnight, how long would it take for students to notice? Every teacher would love their students to get a grade A, but in reality it's impossible. Not every student can be allocated the top grade, otherwise standardised testing would be debunked. No matter how hard a student tries, they'll fall above or below the average. Now, if you're a school leader in this room, do you really believe the current system is suitable for all students? As a school leader of 17 years, the majority of my time was more and more behind a desk number crunching, perhaps for external purposes rather than for in the classroom. But why do we compare one student's ability against an average, overall average of everyone else? Surely we should be evaluating one student's performance against another. Standardised processes are everywhere. Personality tests, horoscopes, performance review ratings, and even group appraisal targets for 100 teachers working in the same school. These are so ingrained in our consciousness that we don't even question it anymore. Our education system was designed over a century ago by Edward Thorndikes. If you're not familiar with him, um, psychologist in America, 1890s, 1900s, uh, tested cats and dogs and applied these metrics to humans and then ended up creating the Harvard entry test. Um, he believed that everyone could do very little to change a student's ability and was therefore identifying students with a superior brain. And as Todd Rose says in his research, how old were you when you passed the driving test? Were you 17? Were you 26? Were you 54? The point is it doesn't matter when you pass the driving t uh, how old you were, it's the point is you passed the test. Finally, as a parent, my son is six years old. 
theme of the conference, you know, taking schools into 2030. He'll be taking his exams in that year. Now, he was put, born 12 weeks premature, 700 grams, one pound, nine ounces. Born three months earlier than expected. He's already labelled summer born, and he's the youngest in his year group by a country mile. Already he is below expected progress in all his subjects, and he's six years old. And is it any surprise, really? He's always going to be behind his peers, a lifetime ahead of underachievement, simply by labelling you're above or below expected progress. Only last month at home, doing homework, I uh, watched him enjoy his mathematics, and as the teacher in me, I tried to unpick the learning and asked him what was going on and what did it all mean. And his response was this. Miss says, I'm a level four, nearly a level five. Using my entire experience, student, teacher, school leader, and as a parent, I'd like to build upon the research that uh, Todd Rose offers. Now, he offers three, and I'm going to give you a fourth. Todd Rose suggests this. Offer credentials, not diplomas and degrees. Number two, replace grades with competency. And number three, allow students to determine their pathway of study. If I could build upon uh, an aspect that Todd perhaps doesn't have, um, is my experience as a school teacher. Schools don't have sufficient funding, and therefore that restricts the creativity that head teachers and teachers can do in their classroom to allow students to have flexible choices. Sadly, I think we're going to continue in this current model way beyond 2030. Perhaps another 100 years living out the myth that we are make, meeting the needs of individual students, when in fact we are simply continuing to build an industrial-scale approach to assessment for politicians and governments to make performance an easier soundbite. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ross McGill. And now the floor is to Dame Rachel D'Souza. The Brits are here. Ladies and gentlemen, it's an honour to stand before you. I speak to you as a teacher of 27 years, a head teacher of two different schools, two of the worst failing schools when I got them in Britain um, that were then transformed to be the most improved and, and have sustained improvement for a number of years. And now I run a group of 14 schools out on the coast because we're in the UK at the moment, we're looking at particularly at performance in coastal regions and in some of the urban regions. Now the cities have got it right. I tell you this, um, and, and just before I move on to testing, for me, I want all those pupils with deprived backgrounds, different backgrounds, whatever, to, to have as good an education as the children in our great British independent schools. The children who my trustees send their school, the schools my trustees send their, their children to, to Harrow, to Eton. I want my children to have as good an education. And I would say two of the great keys to doing that is one, to give them a deep, subject-rich, knowledge-based curriculum that's well-planned so those children know, my children know what the people in the club know. And secondly, to unlock that powerful knowledge with testing. So I'm not going to repeat what Jeannie talked to you about, but testing is key. So I'm going to try and look at testing and why I want to convince you to change your mind and to support testing and standardised testing and a way to do it with integrity. So first off, 
First of all, testing is fun and kids like tests. Let's just go there. Anyone, <laughs> anyone who's been in a classroom knows quizzing, Friday, I was, I was in one of our primary academies the other day, one of the most deprived schools in the area. It was our Friday maths test, the clock was counting down, they were answering the questions, the hands were up. Kids like tests as long as they've been well taught and know how to do them, and they like, and that low stakes testing is something that is a powerful tool within our armour to deal with some of the problems that are coming over here, which is as professionals, if we prepare our children properly, when it comes to those standardised tests, it's just, hey, let's do one, let's do the next one. They don't even have to worry about it. In the UK, we might have standardised tests, but the actual low, uh, high-stakes tests don't happen for children until they're 16 and 18. There is absolutely no need for any primary child to know um, what they even got in a standardised test. They just need to enjoy achieving and doing the tests, getting the skill of it. The government needs to know so they can make policy and put resource in. Head teachers like, like I was need to know so we know what to do, how to resource our schools. Teachers need to know, parents need to know. Children just need to love learning, enjoy it, and enjoy test, uh, you know, enjoy testing. And in my experience, they do if it's well done and professionals, professionals do it. So no need for stress. Exams are a fact of life. Let's normalise them. They're going to be doing tests all their life. My, we've had the story of the six-year-old. My 23-year-old son has just taken all his finals, got a first. He had dyslexia. He had all that. He just got tons of books read to him and loads of testing and great teachers teaching him and lots of positivity. So we can give as many stories uh, to the other side. Um, now I'm going to pick a tricky, little tricky thing here. Why then, if you said to me, Rachel, why not just do teacher assessments? I bet you if I asked most of the UK teachers about whether they thought Key Stage 1 so that's that very first, uh, Key Stage 1 teacher assessments were a great thing. Can I just ask my, ask my Brit teachers, Key Stage 1 teacher assessment, love it, hands up, hate it, hands up. Yeah, yeah, that's, there are three of them there. We know, research has shown us, I mean, I'm sitting here, I can quote you, Harlan's 204, Campbell 215, that unfortunately, teacher assessment is and can be biased. And it is, we know it. If a child, children from low-income backgrounds, 215 research shows, children from low-income backgrounds, there is teacher bias and they get lower scores. Testing is fairer. It's fairer for everybody. It's fair, and that research has been replicated on low-income children, on gender, on children with special educational needs. The inclusive answer is low-stakes testing, lots of practice. So when it comes to the higher-stakes test later on, you can do it. Um, the second thing, I mean, I would say is testing helps learning. Researchers have found the testing effect. I mean, I could quote you vast amounts of research here, but we've got the great paper by Karpik um, in psycho Perspectives on Psychological Science in 2006, talking about the testing effect. Testing not only measures knowledge, but changes it. Um, greatly improving retention of testing knowledge. Study material wants test three times and you'll retain 80% more of it. Testing works. Um, and, and that's the researchers, not just me. And in fact, the research evidence suggests it doesn't matter whether people are asked to recall individual items, passage of a te text, texting beats, restudying every time. Go back and tell your students that. 
um, because that's what will get them through those, those tests. It should be just a normal part of learning. Testing obviously helps teachers. Um, if, if you're doing massive, long, resource-heavy teacher assessments and worrying about whether you're getting right, come on, quizzing, quick testing. You know, make sure that the knowledge has gone in. That's what, it's much easier for testers, for teachers, and teachers also know then where revision is necessary, what, what bits of knowledge are missing. Um, so teacher workload's excellent. Frequent short testings quickly help identify gaps in knowledge um, and ensure pupils are on a secure path. And I mean, lots of people talk about teaching to the test, teaching to the test. Get the test right, and it's right to teach to the test in a way with, with integrity. Um, teaching to the test is good if you have the right test, we create deep curricula um, to ensure that, that, uh, to ensure that children are learning what they should. How else are you going to measure it? It's by testing. So to finish, I agree with everything Jeannie said. I think from the parents' perspective, it's a no-brainer. But I hope I've given you an educational argument to show that testing is good. Kids love tests. Um, and actually, for our most vulnerable and deprived, uh, standardised tests and testing is the way to go. Over to you. Thank you so much, Dame Rachel D'Souza, for that spirited plea to keep on with the test. And now, ladies and gentlemen, up to you to ask questions, maybe also to give comments. Keep it brief and indicate, first of all, who you are, but also to whom you may want to ask the question. Yes, please. You said that, uh, I'm Tuesday by the way, uh, from the north of England, and um, yeah, you said that all teachers in the UK, they don't get good training after they, you know, do, after the NQT year. Where are you looking, you know, and what would you say to um, the vast number of teachers who work really, really hard to train teachers far beyond their NQT year and providing exceptional subjects and professional mentorship beyond those first couple of years because I've got hundreds. And um, sort of on that theme as well, um, you know, you, you, uh, I, do you know what, I'll leave it there. I'll leave it there. I just think you've given a fairly grim view of, um, of teaching in the UK and I'd, I'd like to know do you really think that? So, Ross, keep your horses for a no, keep your horse for a second because I'd like to take three questions so that you can also reflect on the answer, even a more deep down answer. Please, at the back, um, there, at the back, no, at uh, the first hand there. Yes, thank you. And then there, and then there. Yeah. Okay. Hello, everyone. Uh, my, uh, it's not. Uh, more a question, just a thought that why we, why we assess kids? It's because we have to send them to the higher classes where they are compelled for testing. Like the colleges and the universities, they have to go into an assessment system. So we are compelled to put them into questions uh, for, for assessments. Now, this, this can be remoduled as per our contexts, as per our demands of the children. If there are more uh, kids uh, who are very comfortable with the assessment systems. We can have assessments like that. But I think there should be democracy in the classroom. If the kids are happy with assessments, there should be no problem with that. Thank you. So before I move there, just for logistics, uh, the former minister from Mozambique, I believe. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm uh, Honorable David Ochola from Republic of Kenya. Kenya, okay. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, mine is just, I think, if I would wish to advise the proponent of this motion, they should, it, is, it, it should not be uh, asking us how many tests we are doing. I mean, it should not be like too many standardized tests. They should be asking how often should we give our children a test because uh, even a, a new vehicle, if you buy a new vehicle, you cannot pay it before you test it in the yard. <coughs> we cannot just graduate our children to the next level without knowing how they have been performing in those other levels where they started education. So it, the question should be, if it will be in my National Assembly back there, I will seek an amendment that how often should we offer this test? Thank okay, you. <laughs> all right. So that's the 112 discussion. And here then the fourth question, and then we have a round of uh, reflections from the speakers, and maybe there are more questions to come. Thank you. James Neal, GL Education, ex-teacher, um, not a parent, but an uncle. Um, tests. <laughs> yes, fully agree, too many tests can be damaging. But it's what we do with the data. The power of the data that comes out of the standardized tests will help personalized learning. It helps understand those students that may slip between the net. It really helps the leaderships in the school understand how well their school is performing. It doesn't damage students. It doesn't label students. It gives the teachers the power to really make a difference in the classroom. So there are not too many tests. It's how we use the data that is the danger or how we don't use the data in many cases. Thank you very much for these four questions. And now I'm turning first to Ross for okay, a reflection um, on the first question, and then working. I'm turning Hello. to the ladies here. Um, I just want to clarify a few points. I'm all for high standards and accountability on schools and teachers. Okay? Um, what I'm arguing against is the high stakes. Um, you know, regular low testing in the classroom, teacher assessment is brilliant. Um, and my point to answer a colleague's question, you know, Teachers are given, you know, beyond the five inset days, the standard inset days back in the UK. Schools very much adapt their own CPD programs. I've led teacher training in uh, three different large secondary schools, probably 600 colleagues, and in the last six months have been teacher training all around the UK. Um, assessment's just one aspect of the millions of things that teachers need to do. Um, and, you know, with new curriculum and new reform, try, teachers trying to catch up or to look at the data and to try and interpret it back into the classroom is a brilliant thing and a very powerful thing. But we all know teachers are thinly stretched. Um, constant marking, data decisions. Uh, so it's a very tough ask on teachers. Um, I think, I don't know if I've answered the point, but, you know, there's, a one, there's, there's great things happening in the education system. Uh, but I'd like to see... Um, Teaching, uh, in my experience, just go back to some basics where teachers are in control. Um, they can get on with the marking, their assessments, and use that to interpret what best fits for their kids in the classroom, rather than jumping through hoops for external purposes, uh, which is the high-stakes model which I'm against. If uh, Jane Allen could maybe respond also to this question, maybe which was asked last, what do we do with the data? Right, I think that's brilliant. And in fact, um, Ross, you're brilliant to talk about that competency-based and personalized learning. Um, because I agree. Uh, we have an antiquated, uh, for us it's 180 years old, yours is like 2,000 years old, uh, education system, and it needs to change dramatically. But the data 
and getting the data so we can indeed personalize the learning. So Todd Rose, and I know Todd Rose, not well, but I've met him, he actually supports tests that are used to help evaluate and, and, and create the right kinds of programs so all of our children can indeed learn to their highest potential. Now, so what we are all saying, it sounds like, even those of you who um, were not uh, quite primed enough in the beginning, who voted for the question, I think we all could agree that tests are not a bad thing um, and therefore, I just want to urge you to think about voting against the measure because when you say, whether it's for this purpose or not, when we start this um, mythology in the, in the United States, the UK, and other countries, Kenya, everywhere you're from, that we're testing too much, what ends up happening is all policymakers swing to nothing. They go to the extreme. Right? And they stop paying for them and they start making parents feel very apprehensive and they make students feel very apprehensive. And so every time I hear, oh, we're teaching to the test and some legislator introduces some bill to stop it, to stop paying for it, we ruin the opportunities for kids. And I'll just end on this one note because we all have these wonderful stories. I don't have poor and minority kids in my home. However, my children, as you can imagine, talk a lot. They're very active. They're very aggressive and obnoxious in class. And they would get evaluated poorly compared to, I bet you, the children of Ross and Susan who are quite lovely and polite and sit and listen. <laughs> so it is inequities on many levels and subjectivity that if it hadn't been for standardized tests, I would not have known that Excuse my me, most chatty child was brilliant. You still have three minutes brilliant. at the end to summarize. So okay, that's also I'm done. An answering the I'm questions. Done. I'm good. Uh, maybe I should go to Susan uh, on these two questions which were raised. One is we need high-stake tests also to have an efficient, say, education career. Uh, and also maybe the other question, uh, so the 112 question. Okay, right, for, you wait for rebuttal. Because there are more questions in the room. I saw a question from that side. Yes. Uh, Thanks. It's great to hear uh, about what's happening in the U.S. and the U.K., but in uh, the developing world, there's a real learning crisis. And for many children, we know they're well below any meaningful benchmark of, uh, of, of basic literacy. The number of children who go through three, four years of schooling can't read a, a single word. Most of this information comes from uh, donor-funded projects to measure this. There's simply not enough testing of any kind going on in the developing world, very little information flowing, very little analysis, very little use of data. So in terms of the, the rest of the world, the majority of countries, way, way too few tests, not enough information. We need more and more standardized testing. Good. Thank you very much. The person behind you, and then um, I think this is correct, the former minister from Portugal. Yeah, that is correct, yes. Um, at least I'm not mixing that up with the Netherlands. So, <laughs> and then the lady there. So, and then there's a gentleman here. So please keep it um, short. I'll just, um, yep. Dermot from James World Academy in Abu Dhabi. Um, my background is in learning support and SEN uh, teaching. So I use diagnostic testing a lot. But um, my kind of, it's just a little, I'm gonna jump on the gentleman here talking about um, that there's not enough standardized testing in the developing world. But when we begin to create programs of learning in the developing world, we don't start with pen and paper, we start with the teachers that we develop in those environments. And it always comes down to the teaching and the level and the quality of teaching that the children are receiving. So 
my question is to the uh, opponents. Um, when did the pen and paper start taking over from the teachers and why? Why do we now sit so heavily on, on the pen and paper testing when it is gaps in, in teacher knowledge? It is. We, like, I mean, I'm working in an international school and teachers, there are gaps in their knowledge when it comes to testing. My colleagues are here beside me. I don't mean to disrespect them, but you can see that they haven't been upskilled enough to, you know, to, to, to understand and read some of the tests that they come across. But also, if I gave either of my colleagues here a sheet of paper and wrote 1 to 20 on it, they could write down their best child and their child who's most in need, and they'd probably get it nearly as accurate as any test. So why are we not upskilling our teachers? Why are we not putting more investment in that kind of uh, Thank area? you very much. Uh, Portugal. Thank you so much. My name is Nuno. I just want to ask a question, but to, to frame it, I'll tell you that in Portugal, up to 2005 or 2006, we had for the whole mandatory schooling no standardized test. And then there was a minister in 2006 or 5, I'm sorry, sorry about my memory, who introduced two tests, two standardized tests at the end of mandatory schooling, and immediately Lots of people started saying it's too many standardized tests. Okay. <laughs> but thanks work. to yeah. him, we got an increase in PISA, in math and science in, in the next year. Then, I'm very proud to say that I introduced two more uh, standardized tests. And I'm very proud to say that after that, in 2015, for the first time in Portuguese history, we went over above the average OECD for PISA. And I'm very proud to say also, and this is also a compliment for Finland, don't take me wrong, that in math, fourth year, we went above Finland. So my question is, there, is, there will always be people saying that there are too many standardized tests. What do you mean by too many? Thank you. Thank you very much. So the lady, and then that has to be, unfortunately, the last question, because uh, otherwise we are running over time. Thank you. Um, my name is Mary, I'm from South Africa. Um, in listening to the arguments for and against, it seems to me there's a little bit of a trick being played because people are using arguments that we all agree with to smuggle things that we won't agree with, I think. <laughs> so everybody would agree that tests are not a bad thing. Testing is part of the professional set of practices of teachers. I think we would all agree, and I'll be surprised if anyone doesn't, that teachers need to differentiate between learners to provide better support for learners, and that the system needs um, better information about what components of the system need better support so that we can better support learners. That I think we all agree. So tests are not a bad thing. But I want to ask the proponents for the motion if they would agree with three criteria that I think would be critical for any use of standardized tests. The first is, that standardized test or any testing must have as an explicit purpose the strengthening of teachers' work through the strengthening of the exercise of their professional judgment. And if we use data for any other purpose, I think we're betraying teachers and their work. The second is that any standardized testing should not detract from the valuable teaching time 
that teachers have and make their work more difficult. And the third is that standardized testing should not remove from teachers the exercise of their professional judgment in terms of what content to be taught at what pace for the learners that they are responding to the learning needs of. If standardized testing meets those three criteria, criterion, then I would say we would limit the dangers of standardized testing that happens too frequently. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think so many valuable questions and additions. I'm almost on the point of adding one, which is, well, and I can't really hesitate, because the one thing which I've always been concerned about is value added. It's not about a norm, and I think that's is Ross's point, but it's about value added. But this doesn't have anything to do with the discussion because it's on a yes or a no, and there are, the pitch is going to be now from Susan, we shouldn't have uh, as many tests as we have. And then the question, of course, is what is many? Ross, so I'd fail that standardised test if it was... Um, <laughs> but let me start by saying what a nice discussion. It's a pity that most of it had nothing to do with the question we're debating. <laughs> right. Which, let me remind you, is that children sit too many standardised tests. That is the question that we are debating. And... Um, and my colleagues, of uh, my opponents here, our opponents, have put some very good arguments for testing, although one of them was arguing that we had far too many tests and the other was arguing that every test we had was fantastic, so I was a little confused. But it seemed to me that there seemed to be a very strong position coming through there that continually, continually weighing the pig will make it better or fatter. And, of course, we know that's not the case. We are debating the question about standardised tests. We don't argue the question about assessment. Let me use the word assessment, not tests. Teachers assess their students all of the time. And they assess them in all sorts of ways. I was a maths teacher. I did those little quizzes on Friday night. But there wasn't a standardised test, which was actually then... Uh, looked at against every other school in the state and splashed across the newspapers. My students did very badly in that little maths test that we did on Friday night. A standardised test, mass standardised tests, are designed to compare schools and students. And there is a purpose for systems understanding how healthy their, their systems are. And so there is a place for standardised testing, but not mass standardised testing, but census testing, which sample testing, which will give the system the evidence they need. And exactly the same for developing countries as for, de as for the high-income countries. It is that sample testing which will tell us about the health of the system. But the testing we're talking about, the assessment that teachers do is the assessment that tells them how each individual child is progressing. And it's instant. They know it straight away. They know how to respond to it. They can respond to it. They can adjust their teaching. They can assist their students in where they're falling behind. You know, in my country, we have standardised tests. The, test, the children are tested in literacy and numeracy in grade three, 
grade five, grade seven and grade nine. And you know what? The schools and the teachers and the parents get those test results back six months after they sit the test. So what has that told anybody about those results? No, let's go back to the question. Let's go back to the question and let, remind me, let me remind you about 112. Although apparently 80 is okay. Let me remind you about 112. 112 standardised tests. Is that okay? No, it is not. I urge you to vote for our position. Thank you. And Jane Allen against the proposition, do children sit too many standardised tests? Thank you. Um, the 80 was not uh, an endorsement, by the way. The 80 was a, showing a byproduct of broken systems. Um, however, let me just start my final three minutes on our behalf saying thank you uh, and to you all for the questions and the importance of this continued civil dialogue on behalf of our children. The sampling, however, the issue of sampling which we endorse, we have to understand the sampling in our country, and I think some of yours, re yields results such as on our nation's report card that fully 65% of US high school students don't know when the Revolutionary War was fought or what the Declaration of Independence was about. I know some of you would like that to happen, but that's what we find out from sampling if you don't have testing, what do you do with that knowledge the next year? Who do you know? How do you know which students need what kind of help? Indeed, we oppose the question and support a program of standardized testing in all countries, but saying so does not excuse the myriad of bad behavior and bad testing that adults may perpetrate on our children. But the one thing I want you to all take away that we want you to take away from this is with testing results, we can no longer hide inequities in our children. We are at this conference striving for 2030 because we recognize that our children are not well educated internationally. We need 69 million new teachers and improvements in a majority of existing teachers as hard as that is to think about. Testing is a guidepost, it is a support, it can be an enabler, as my colleague said, it can help our teachers teach better. And with ongoing strong testing, we can see consequential gaps, address the deficiencies, and help our children get the awesome potential that we know they are about. Educating students on a wide variety of areas, subject levels is critical to our future. This is not about squashing that creativity, those arts and those programs that aren't testing, but this is creating the foundation that undergirds us and the only way to move from an antiquated system to one of great personalized learning on behalf of all of our educators and children and to help get away from this system and improve the lot for everyone is if we use great data, empower teachers, provide great resources for our school, and unleash the potential that our side most deeply believes in. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen in the room, so now it's up to you to have listened, now to have had the chance to digest it, and now to vote again and see where your positions are. So please 
can you take the small piece of equipment and press 1A in favor, uh, 1B, 2B against, or 3C undecided? So, your vote has changed. So, if I would look at tests, what they should do, it would be on value added. And then the against have won <laughs> the debate. But, of course, the in favor are the majority. So, how to explain this? I think what we had was a great debate, and I'm most grateful for the speakers and the way in which they put the debate to you and actually also introduced the subtleties. Um, smuggling, uh, lady, smuggling is in politics allowed, if you can get away with it. Uh, this is my experience in the Netherlands, which is a nice country by all standards, but smuggling is allowed if you get away with it. So, in this respect, the discussion was full of arguments, even of both sides, indicating, say, the complexity of the issue. And I think what we found was a kind of a common sense around it. 112, maybe, yes, we would disagree with 112. We might agree with another number, uh, and also with a dimensioning. So, in a way, I think this is a step towards more thinking uh, on the use of standardized tests, and I think all the arguments were there, and I'm most grateful, once again, for the speakers and for the audience, and a big hand to all of you.